Well, let's head into this week's message. We're in the second week of this series called The Line. We are in this season of Advent where we're going to be kind of in this season of preparation where we're kind of joining together in this kind of ancient expectancy of the Messiah that's being born in Bethlehem that really changed the course of human history. It was a magnificent event that changed our world. And we know this because we literally changed our calendars to suit it. We have 0 AD that marks the birth of Christ. AD stands for a no, um, a no dumb mini. And a, a no dumb mini means the year of our Lord. And so Jesus' birth is recognized as 0 AD. And there are lots of things that happen right around this changeover in time that are kind of beneficial for us in the present day. There are things that echo into our life from what happened then. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist turned Christian, turned theologian and author, wrote that the birth of Christ is the central event in the history of the earth, the very center of the whole story of all of it. And so for that reason, we're going to go back and kind of connect with our ancient ancestors in the hope that they have in the coming Messiah, that in us it might renew our hope and desire for Christ to come again to look forward to the day that he comes down and he establishes his everlasting throne here on earth. And so we're going to examine a a piece of scripture in uh, the gospel of Luke in chapter 2, a piece of scripture that doesn't get a lot of play during this time of year. It's it's part of the birth narrative of Christ. It's ceremonial nature. We don't talk about it a lot, but there's a lot of profound truth in in this passage. And so we're going to read it and make some observations. I think one of uh, the greatest joys of my life is, is reading scripture and, and just being struck at the, the lack of happenstance in the life of Jesus. There is a reason seemingly for every twist and turn, every event in the life of Jesus. There is reason behind the people he's associated with and the way that he does things. And this passage in particular contains some pretty profound truths that if we would just read it, we would, we would read over without much fanfare or acknowledgement. But if we studied a little bit deeper, we would be led to, to these moments where we go, like I have, where I said, well, of course he did. Of course he did. He's, he's God. When, I don't know if you've had people in your life that are just, like they're ahead of the game and they just, they nail everything. Like, people who know what you need before you know you need it. And you walk in, and and there it is. And you didn't know you need it, but you need it in that instance. And you're like, of course they did. (laughs) Because they nail everything in life. Jesus nails it all the time. And so when we read scriptures, I'm struck with, with how good he is at his example and what he displays for us as believers. And so we're gonna jump into Luke today, and we're gonna read through these Uh, passages and and maybe be struck with these kind of, of course he did, kind of moments with Jesus. So let's read it on the screen together. It's Luke 2, verses 22 to 38. So a lengthy piece of scripture. We'll read it here. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now there is a, was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, 
And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consultation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for, for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul so that, the thought, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in her years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fast, with fasting and praying, praying night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Now, there's a lot of things that are happening in this passage today, and we're going to take some time just to kind of dive in and talk about exactly what is going on, and then we're going to kind of focus on some application. So there's, there, there's a few things happening in the beginning of this passage. Right before we head into 22, Jesus is circumcised. There's a lot of ceremony, and then we see this thing called the ritual of purification. Sounds like something I want to be a part of. Ritual of pur purification. It's happening in the temple. It's in Jerusalem. And so listen, after a, a woman would give birth in this day and age, you would be considered to be uncleaned. And what that would mean is that you would be limited on who could connect with you or contact you. If you touch somebody in that status of being unclean, you have now condemned them as unclean as well. And so if you were a woman and you had a baby, by no fault of your own, you were considered unclean. And, and how long you would be considered unclean was determined by the gender of the child. If you had a son, you would be unclean for 40 days. If you had a daughter, you would be unclean for 80 days, double that of a son. Isn't that crazy? Hearing that, does anybody think, oh, I'd love to go under the law again? Moms, how would you feel about your husbands not being able to comfort you or be with you for 40 or 80 days? Husbands, now's not a cue to talk in her ear, okay? So nobody say anything. Thanks be to God who dealt with the law and fulfilled it for us, right? And so you have this purification that's happening, and there would be a sacrifice that was needed in that ritual. And commonly well-known, that sacrifice would involve a yearling lamb and either a dove or a pigeon. Mary and Joseph don't bring that. And there's for a good reason that they don't bring it. They bring two turtle doves. No partridge in a pear tree, just two turtle doves here. And what that would mean is that they're poor. There was a relief 
from the law of a lamb and a dove or a pigeon if you were poor. And so they could bring two turtle doves. And so that's one ritual. And then you have the second thing that's happening is that Jesus is being presented to the Lord at the temple. All firstborn children or or sons, all firstborn sons would be presented to the Lord as an act of obedience in the covenant that God had with his people. And so the firstborn son were required to go to the temple, and this had everything to do with what happened in Egypt. We remember, and if we know the book of Exodus, that when, when God was trying to get his people out of Egypt, the last plague that he sent to convince the Pharaoh to let his people go was the plague of the firstborn sons. There was a plague that was to kill all the firstborn sons in Egypt, except for the Israelites, who by God were commanded to put blood over their door, And that plague came and it passed over the Israelites' doors and saved the firstborn sons. And Pharaoh released God's people. This is where the holiday Passover comes from. And this is where this ceremony comes from. That the parents would take their firstborn sons to the temple to show reverence to a holy God for what he had done for their people. And so what we see, we just see Mary and Joseph. They're going through a bunch of ceremonial hoops as they bring him to the temple, it says the temple is filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And this can create some confusion, right? Most of the time, we kind of see the Holy Spirit as something that came after the birth of Christ, after the death of Christ. That we read in the book of Acts that there's this day of Pentecost where the Spirit falls on believers. And so what's happening in here? Well, understand this. The Holy Spirit, he is a part of the triune God that's existed Forever. There is no beginning and there is no end to Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. They are in the Trinity. Beginning and ends they do not have. And so the Holy Spirit has always been around. He's been present in creation. He's just not a permanent resident of earth. In this time before Christ's sacrifice and resurrection, he is given selectively and temporarily to certain individuals for certain ministries. He was not universally present on the earth. But after the atoning work of Christ, after his resurrection, he is. The Holy Spirit is permanent and lives with those who trust by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Because Jesus Christ has dealt with our sin. He was crucified for it, and in his death, he paid a price, and on the resurrection, we are brought into a new life with him. So God is able to dwell with us through the Holy Spirit. He is able to be there with us because Jesus has dealt with our sin. And so that's why the Holy Spirit is is in this equation here. And so we see this man was promised that he would see the Lord's Christ. This man was promised that he would see Jesus someday, and we can see in that moment that he's swept away. This man's name, his name is Simeon. We don't know much about Simeon. This is the only time in Scripture that Simeon is mentioned. But the Word says that he is known for his belief. It says this about him, that he was devout and righteous. What that means is that he obeyed God. He simply, he did what God said, and he took what God gave, and that was enough. That is what being devout, righteous is, to to do what God says, to take what he gives, and that's enough. And then it says that this man was waiting for the consultation of Israel. He's waiting for comfort from God. He's waiting in expectancy of the hope of the Savior. 
At this time, we remember these Israelites are under oppression, under a Roman rule. He wants a break. God, rescue us. And so he's waiting. And then he says it's, he's full of the Holy Spirit. Three great phrases. Obedient, waiting, full of the Holy Spirit. Obedient, waiting, full of the Holy Spirit. Could there be anything better said about a believer than that? Could one use any better words to describe a person of faith than that? Man, I'll tell you about Paul. That guy was righteous, waiting, and he leaned into the Spirit, man. He just simply said what God, he did what God said, he took what God gave, that was enough for him in his life. That guy, that girl, she just waited. She was patient. She had expectancy, hope in the Lord. She understood that justice wasn't hers to have. She didn't have to have revenge. She trusted that God's plan was better than hers, that God's justice was better than hers. And he just anchored themselves in the Lord. And to say, have somebody observe about you, man, that just really lean into the Spirit, that person just really leaned into the Spirit to let God change their desires, to deal with the sickness of sin in their life, to remove those things that they would become more and more like Jesus in their lives day by day. Is there anything better that could be said about us as believers? What a great example that Simeon is for us. If you have ever had the question, how could I be used by God more? Listen to Simeon, obedient, waiting, leaning into the Spirit. Use his example. But not just his lifestyle, but look at his expectancy in love. Notice what Simeon says when he holds up this child in, in the temple. He says, Lord, depart, let your servant depart in peace. And so we see Simeon, this Holy Spirit, fills the room, and he picks up the, the child, and he raises it. It's like this Lion King moment, right? Ha, that whole, that's where they got it from. That's where I feel like the Lion King got from this. And he just says, Lord, now I can leave. What he's saying is, Lord, I'm good. I can die now. You have shown me your promises. Take me home. Take me home. A man of esteem for his obedience, his holiness, but yet it was only after meeting Jesus did he say, you know what, God, I'm good now. That's enough for me. All of his obedience, all of his holiness failed in comparison with meeting the Christ child. All of his righteousness and waiting seemed to be in vain if he had not met Jesus. One might say that all that he did and all that he was came from the hope that someday he would know Christ. What better is there in life but to know Jesus? Our hope is created by the fact that we get to know Jesus. Our desires are changed by the fact that we know Jesus. We can wait and lean into the Spirit of God because of Jesus. Without Christ, none of that is possible. Without Christ, all of that is in vain. And so Simeon blesses God for Jesus, for salvation, not just for him, but for the world. He says the Gentiles and the Jews. For the entire world, he blesses God. And his parents hear all he's saying, and they delight. 
There's nothing like hearing good things spoken about your child. And they just delight in what, what was being said. And then we see this prophetess, Anna. And a prophetess in this time would have just meant, not a vision sharer, she would have been an Old Testament teacher. She would have been an Old Testament teacher. Anna, a widow for 80, an 84-year-old widow, senses the spirit in the room, sees the Christ child, and it says that she goes and confesses and shares the wonder of Christ to all who are willing to hear and listens. She is marveling at Christ. So look, there's a lot that's going on in this passage, and there really is a lot more that we could dig into, but what I want you to see in this text is these beautiful twists and turns of seemingly unimportant details that speak volumes to who Christ is. When you understand the reality of who Christ is, even in this moment, the baby Jesus, he is fully human and fully God, divine in nature. There is not a blemish or spot about him. When you know that about Jesus, when you read these passages, it either becomes the worst or the best episode of Undercover Boss that you could imagine. I don't know if you've ever watched the show Undercover a Boss where, where bosses take on these hideous disguises that fool nobody, and they come under and become a low-level employee so they can learn about their employee's treatment, how they're being served. There's really not a whole lot into it, I think, besides being on TV, but yet maybe just to better relate to their employees to serve them. To me, and I'll preference that to me, right? What compelling reason is there for a holy God to lower himself, humiliate himself, strip himself of all glory and perfection, and to become human? What compelling reason is there in light of the fact that we are the ones that mess this up? He would be just to let us have eternal punishment. But consider, so consider the irony in knowing that in these passages that they in the temple suppose him as a stranger, that by ceremony they might introduce him to his father. Dads, do you need to be introduced to your sons? Jesus has always been God's beloved son, always. And yet in the temple, it's as if he's a stranger, that they're putting him through, oh, here's your son, God. That seems silly. In the temple, they suppose him a sinner that needs to have filthiness taken away from him. Whereas he had no impurity, no sickness that needed to be cast out, he was perfect, not born of man, but from God, yet he submitted himself to it. He submitted himself to it for our sake, that he who knew no sin would become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He was made in our likeness of flesh, not just any flesh, sinful flesh. Romans 8 says that though thereby he made himself a debtor to the whole law. And so when Christ is circumcised, when he is presented at the temple, he has come under the whole law. He is accountable to every dot and tittle, something that nobody in the history of the world has been ever able to fulfill. All of it, Christ is under all of it. And I say to that, of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. Because he just nails it every time. 
He knew that it wouldn't go well for us, this broken creation, if we didn't have a human tangible example. We needed to see for ourselves an example of what it is to live a life of faith. Jesus humbles himself into the position under the law of nature and flesh and under the law of Moses, under that yoke that he might be better equipped by grace to cancel it, to set it aside, that it might help us to see an example of what it meant to live a life worthy of our creator. Of course he did. (laughs) That he would go to that length to bring his people back to him, that he would subject himself to some sort of foolishness for you and me, for his people. And consider in the story the people that Jesus was surrounded by. A mom and a dad who were so poor that they couldn't afford the right sacrifice in the temple. Joseph and and Mary were on the low rung of society. They were not of affluent people. They were modern-day type factory workers, noble, honorable people, not affluent, not elite, just you and I. And in the temple, who comes besides Jesus? Who sees him and exalts him? An old man waiting to see God's son. He wasn't noble. He, He was exemplary. But he wasn't a priest. He wasn't royal. Just an old man who was devout, waiting, and full of the Holy Spirit. Not a king that Jesus would deserve to announce his presence, but an elderly man. And then you have an 84-year-old widow, a teacher. These are good people, But these aren't the kind of people that should be ushering in the beloved son of God into the holy temple. No high priest, no king or prince, a poor couple, an old guy, and a widow. And I say, of course he did. Of course he did because it speaks volumes to who he is. Around the time of the line, your occupation was determined by who and where you were born. Your standing and plight in life was, who, was, caught, was, was determined by who your parents were. If you were born farmers, you would stay a farmer. If you were born a fisherman, you were going to be a fisherman. If you were born to a carpenter, you were going to be a carpenter. There was little upward momentum on the ladder of success in this culture. Where you were born and to who you were born to determined the plight of your life. And so there are scores of people who want improved and better lives that have no possible way to achieve it for themselves. There's no chance to go to an education and get a college degree and become a doctor, a teacher. They were stuck. And so the fact that Jesus chose to come to parents like these, to associate himself with a widow an old guy and poor parents says everything that we need to know about the kingdom of God because of Jesus. There is no doubt that this would have spoken lots to the people around the time of the line. God coming and associating himself with this type of lowly status still echoes with us today because it says this, is that your position does not change your condition with God. Whether you're a king or a president, or a police officer, or a stay-at-home mom. We have all chosen our own way rather than God's. 
We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. Every one of us, no matter what you have achieved or what position you were born into, every one of us is in the same boat. There's none that are better than the next. And what is beautiful to know because of Jesus is that that condition of sinner is only healed by the position of Christ. Not your position, because your position doesn't matter. His does. God in flesh. And better yet, your condition doesn't matter. His does. He is glorious and holy. He is the perfect radiance of God on earth. His condition as sinless on earth matters, not yours. And that is good news for us. Because it doesn't, it means this, it doesn't matter if you were in the gutters 10 minutes ago and you cleaned yourself on up to come into this church, you by faith, by profession in Christ, with your mouth and belief in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and trusting him, in that moment you are no longer a, a, a pauper or a poor person or whatever. You are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. His position changes our condition. It doesn't matter where you are, who you are, what you grew up in, your IQ level, your social class. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you didn't do. Every one of us, because of King Jesus, can call upon his name by faith. And in an instant, you turn from sinner to saint in the eyes of God. Heirs to an eternal throw throne and I say of course he did of course he did because he's that good always that good you know over this season we sing a lot of songs uh, reflecting the Christmas holiday and and there's one song in particular that just was elevated in my heart this week the song joy to the world do you Understand the joy that we can have because of our King. He has come. Not just for the elite, not just for the rich, not just for those who are capable, but for everybody. He has come. Those who profess by faith. Those lyrics say, Joy to the world, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. There is so much joy to be found because of this baby that is being brought into Bethlehem. That the God of the cosmos would act in a way that would declare to his creation, I want you. And it doesn't matter about your position, it doesn't matter about your condition, you are never too far away from me that I am not able, by my blood, to bring you back. This season is about him, because of him. It is not about us. Our position, our conditions are not things that we should concern ourselves with as much about his. And so as we prepare for this expectancy of of Christ coming to, Messiah, coming to Bethlehem, let us turn the joy up in our hearts. Let us feel the joy and delight 
in our lives to know that we have a God that has gone, come this far to subject himself to this kind of folly, to be presented at the temple, to be circumcised all so he could have the grace to set that law aside for you. We have joy in our salvation, joy in our hearts. Let there be room in all of us to exalt him as Simeon did, as Simeon did. So let's stand together. And as you're standing, just, you know, if you are here today and you need prayer just for the holiday season or for things going on in your life, just know this. We invite you to come down here. We, we would love to pray for you. But let us take some time to just sing of the joyful uh, works that God has done for us in this season.